Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So I was skydiving back and I had a parachute. It was worth probably about... Five thousand dollars. I ended up selling it for three three thousand dollars to be able to get enough money to be able to put a driveway in. So that was probably yeah, like that was one of the toughest moments of starting property investing. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we speak with Daniel Walsh, buyer's agent by day, train driver by night. While many young adults spend every cent they earn, Walsh spent his formative years saving for his first deposit whilst overcoming several speed humps along the way. Follow his journey and be inspired by his drive and determination. For Walsh, he was inspired from a young age in property investing that gave him the drive and determination to start investing just before the global financial crisis. He tells us a bit about a typical day in his busy life. I started off as a train driver, been tra- uh, driving trains for about seven years. Uh, pretty much from there, I started my own business as a buyer's agent. So I do that during the day uh, and I work at night. Yeah, well, my days pretty much consist of... Uh, just working really. I work 18 hour days. Every day is different for me because I drive trains. It's uh, a roster, so my roster changes. So I, I don't really have a set day like what I do. But during the day, I pretty much every day try to get to the gym for at least an hour. Um, I go out, I uh, do my property investing during the day mainly, and I work at night. So I drive trains all night, work during the day, try and get to the gym for at least one hour, and I get about four to five hours sleep each day. I have no kids. It's, it's my time to sort of work my, you know, work, work as hard as I can. So for me, it was, I work 18 hour days. I even go to the point where I set my alarm clock. So I might want to sleep more than four or five hours, but I set my alarm clock to make sure that I get up after four or five hours because I know that I don't have enough time during the day to be able to get everything done. So I have to be able to uh, sleep less, work more. As soon as I started driving trains, I started working on the side. I actually started doing courses in real estate. Um, I did my certificate for my buyer's agency. So I was doing that all uh, while working full-time and I was generally driving trains anywhere from 50 to 80 hours a week. If you've ever wondered what it'd be like to drive a train, Walsh says it's no simple task. With training and practice, it can take years to become a qualified train driver. It's, it's completely different. I mean, it's very hard to sort of predict hills, you know, like with a car, you, think, you know, when you're going uphill, you know, when you're going downhill. It took me about six months to work out whether I was going up or downhill. So it was, it's a bit different. It's, um, you know, we don't have a steering wheel, so we're not like a car. We're pretty much just got, we've got three different brakes. We've got uh, power. So there, it's, 
It's totally different to driving a car. It takes usually about two to three years to get the hang of driving before you become a driver. So there's a, there's a lot of sort of background into learning all the safe working and just learning. You've got to know, you've basically got to uh, forecast what's happening a kilometre or two kilometres ahead because these trains take two kilometres, three kilometres sometimes to pull up. Gosh, I admire what you do because, you know, it's it's not easy, seriously. I mean, it, it's a lot of focus Yeah, especially at night when it's about three or four in the morning and it's quiet and, and you, you know, your body's telling you to go to sleep but you've got to stay awake for another five hours. With such a busy schedule, Walsh always makes the most of his valuable time in order to help others to invest in property. Generally, they don't have all day, so like where most people would be sleeping, uh, you know, they, they, they'll work all day and then sleep all night. I do the opposite, you know, so for me, I work all night and then I work all day and I get about three or four hours sleep in between and I literally do that for a whole week and then I'll get maybe one good sleep of around eight to ten hours and reset pretty much every single week. So I pretty much just make sure that I free up my time where I should probably be sleeping more and make sure I put that into property investing and helping others. Growing up, he was determined to be in a trade that he could fall back on. However, after working with his father for four years as an auto electrician, he decided to change careers. The underlying goal was to save enough money for a deposit for his first property by the time he turned 19. I grew up in uh, Camden, southwest of uh, Sydney, and I pretty much grew up there for you know all of my primary school years, and then. When we got into when I got into high school, we moved out towards Picton onto Acres. So I was into all the you know typical dirt bikes and stuff like that. So after high school, um, we still lived out at Picton, but uh, I only went to Year Ten, so I dropped out at, uh, in Year Ten. I was 16 years old. I needed a, a job, so I pretty much went and worked with everyone. You know, I was doing electrician for a while. I did carpentry, plumbing, um, and then. I didn't have a license, so I couldn't really go forward uh, with any of those apprenticeships. So I ended up working for my father, and I did a four and a well four year apprenticeship and worked with him for about four and a half years as an auto electrician. My father has done it for over thirty years, so I've seen it a lot. You know, I've seen you know that sort of industry and what it was about. Um, my dad never wanted me to be an auto electrician; he wanted me to be a plumber or a carpenter or something like that, but. It just so happened that I, I had no license, so there was nothing else for me to do other than, you know, go go to work with my dad. I couldn't get to work any other way. Being out at Picton, it's sort of a bit far out to catch trains anywhere. So we sort of, yeah, I, I literally just fell into it and did four and a half years. And, you know, it wasn't fun for me. I didn't actually, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but it was just the necessary thing that I had to do for four and a half years. I wanted to get a trade behind me so that, I had some sort of backing before I went out and did something else. So I was about four and a half years in. I pretty much was starting to look for other jobs. I wanted to start another career. So I then uh, went on to job seek really and just and I applied for the trains, went through all their testing. It was about six months after that I got in um, and then just went through all the process over the next that two to three years of learning to become a driver. So I was the second person for about three years. And just learning off the drivers and how to how to learn the roads and stuff like that before becoming a driver. Um, it was really around that time I was about nineteen when I actually started property investing. I'd already been studying property investing since I was sixteen, 
Um, and I knew I was going to buy a house around that sort of 1920, but I just needed to save a deposit to be able to do it. From there, Walsh took every opportunity he could save for the deposit on his first property. When I was uh, working as an auto electrician, I was on poor money. Obviously, when you started an apprenticeship, everyone knows that it's not that great of money. So I was on about $250 a week when I started. Now, for me to get extra income, what I had to do was pretty much stay back at night. And I used to rebuild alternators and starter motors for my father. And he used to give me $5 each one. So I used to stay back two or three hours, get two or three of them done every single night. So that little bit more income to be able to save. I used to work Saturdays for him. Uh, So I pretty much worked six days a week back then um, just to save. And then when I got to about 19, I wanted to buy a house. So I had to sell my car, went and bought a $1,500, $2,000 bomb. And yeah, pretty much put my money into building my first house. About a $34,000 deposit, I think it was. Um, I did a 5%. uh, So it was... Yeah, back then you could do 5% uh, loans, like 5% loans. So I, I ended up getting uh, 5% together, just sort of got enough money. Even when I was building the property, like I I was building the property and I got to the point where I had to put like driveways in and grass and all of that. And I actually ran out of money and I had to go and sell. I was skydiving back then. I had a parish that was worth probably about $5,000. I ended up selling it for three $3,000 to be able to get enough money to be able to put a driveway in. So that was probably, yeah, like that was one of the toughest moments of starting property investing was it was extremely tough back then. It was like every week I lived week to week. Um, I didn't go out. I had to put everything into building this property. With the influence of his parents who were experienced in renovating and flipping properties themselves, Walsh was exposed to information about the market at a young age. This was a significant part of his choice to become a property investor. I was lucky when I was younger, my dad actually used to renovate and flip houses for a little while and we, they used to either build house and land packages, renovate and flip. So I kind of grew up around renovating houses, you know, I was out painting fences and stuff when I was a young kid. So I sort of learned uh, young about the housing market and we're looking at houses every single week. But it wasn't until I started work and I realised that, hey, I don't want to be doing this forever, that... I need uh, something to put, you know, to to generate wealth for me to be able to one day not have to work. So that was pretty much the moment where I went, I'm going to have to start studying property investment because I realized at that time that majority of people's wealth when they die is in actually their house. So I figured, well, why not study housing market and study why uh, markets go up and, and all of that sort of thing. So I actually then pretty much at the age of 16, literally put all of my time into studying uh, property instead of auto electrician. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Daniel Walsh's journey on how he became a property investor. I remember when I was even looking for a house, people were saying I was crazy, the GFC is going to hit, you know, why why are you buying a house? And I, I, to me, it made sense. It was, hey, this thing's not going to cost me anything to hold. It's going to make me money. Why not? how he grew his property portfolio. So what I did was I pretty much for about a year and a half took a break and uh, I went and studied for that time. So I, I wanted to learn how to buy interstate properties, how to build a team around me. So I went and did that over that year and a half and seeked out some mentors and um, pretty much from there, that's when I started really building everything. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Property Investory. 
Are you looking at buying or investing in property? Unsure of where and what to buy? Many investors in the community have raised these questions frequently. That's why I've created a property sourcing service to help investors like yourself find investment opportunities at wholesale prices to add to your new or existing portfolio. I'm currently accepting expressions of interest. To apply, visit propertyinveststory.com.au. Now back to the show. Embarking on his first property investing venture at a point when the GFC was about to hit, he took on a property around the area where he lived. After making necessary changes to the place, he knew he had to make the right decision to invest in property. Back then, pretty much it was really where everyone was scared of buying houses. It was back in around 2010, 2011. And I remember when I was even looking for a house, people were saying I was crazy, the GFC is going to hit, you know, why, why are you buying a house? And I, I, to me, it made sense. It was, hey, this thing's not going to cost me anything to hold. It's going to make me money. Why not? So for me, it was more so about I knew the area. I knew what it was worth. Uh, it was the first, for my first investment, it was just safer for me to do that because I knew exactly what that market was doing. And when I seen this land come up, I knew it was quite cheap for the time and I knew what I could build for and what I could rent it for. So the numbers worked out. I just made sure the numbers worked out. And once they did, I just knew that 100% that I, I needed that property. Basically, what had happened was uh, I bought the land. The land had been subdivided and I bought the block that was subdivided. So I pretty much then just uh, built an eagle home on it, actually. And I had to just obviously do the finishes and stuff like fences and some grass and all of that, landscaping. And so I pretty much uh, spent uh, about a good 12 months doing that and getting that first property sort of uh, up and running and then getting a renter in there. Um, it was probably that moment where I had that sort of light bulb moment uh, where I was actually making $100 a week positive income. So for me, uh, that was that moment where, hey, I was earning $250 a week and now I'm earning $100 a week from something I'm not even having to go to work for. So that was where I really clicked into gear and was like, I need to do more of this. This one was actually literally around the corner from where I uh, lived. So this was in uh, Picton. Yeah. So it, and it was, I think it was getting about a seven and a half percent yield back then. Uh, the whole thing cost me all up was 345000 That was house and land. Yeah. Which I just got to actually revalue because I'm now going to get some money out to go again on another house. And the bank's valued at 650000 after purchasing his first property in Picton, Walsh chose to repeat what he had done and apply it to his second property. However, for some time after that, he found that he could go no further and focus his attention on studying more about property investing. Yeah, well, I actually bought one like three doors up from that other one. I bought a an established house though. This time it was a mortgagee sale. So the guy had actually purchased a two years, uh, three years before me for three hundred and ten thousand. Uh, I bought it off him for three hundred and three. So that guy had actually lost money over three years and I, I pretty much, when I bought that, it had uh, had to be fully re- renovated. So I spent all my nights really in there renovating that property and patching all the holes up and sort of painting it, doing all that sort of stuff. And then, um, yeah, I pretty much got renters into that one. It was the same story. It was like a 7.5% yield. Um, it was giving me money each week. 
And yeah, so that was pretty much the same thing. I just literally rinse and repeat what I did the first time. Yeah, from there, I actually, for about a year, year and a half, I didn't actually do anything. I had run out of money by that time. Uh, I The Sydney market started to go up and it, for me, it became unaffordable. I couldn't buy those houses in the 300,000s anymore. So what I did was I pretty much for about a year and a half took a break and uh, I went and studied for that time. So I, I wanted to learn how to buy interstate properties, how to build a team around me. So I went and did that over that year and a half and seeked out some mentors. And um, pretty much from there, that's when I started really building everything. And I then started purchasing in Queensland, so in Brisbane. And I purchased uh, in 2014, I purchased three properties there. At the moment, I've got seven properties and a block of land. Three in Brisbane, I've got a block of land and a house in Carrum Downs in uh, Victoria. And I've got one in South Australia as well. He explains that diversifying into different states was about accessing different growth drivers and not placing all his eggs into one basket. After I bought my second house, I, I mean, obviously, I'd done a lot of study and I'd realized at that time that I didn't want to put another one there for the reason that if you put all your eggs in that one basket, yes, things were going up at that time. But if something was to ever happen to Sydney market, well, I would be then forced to lose a lot more than what I would if I only had uh, one or two properties in there. So for me, it was all about going into different states and accessing different growth drivers so that at any one point when one market stops growing, another market starts growing. So I wanted to access that. So my whole entire portfolio was like really well balanced. Walsh admits that being unable to move forward in the aftermath of buying his second property was the most disheartening part in his journey to become a property investor. However, he was able to overcome this through seeking help from mentors. So I bought my second property and I went back to the banks and I wanted to buy a third one and the banks literally denied me and said, you've got too much debt now. You know, I was carrying $600,000 worth of debt. I wasn't earning very much. So I couldn't go forward. So for me, it was sort of a setback. You know, I was like, what am I going to do from here? This is what I want to, you know, achieve a, a portfolio of maybe 10 properties. And I, I couldn't do it. I stopped it too. So for me, it was that moment where I had to go out and seek mentors to really overcome the barrier that I had in front of me. So I literally did that. I went out and seeked mentors and I learned over the year and a half how to get around it and then from there on I ended up getting around that sort of obstacle and building from like two properties now to nearly eight properties. Through this mentorship, he learned about where he went wrong and how to rectify the issue before beginning to uncover more about how to grow his portfolio. When I started, you know, I started learning from my mortgage broker mainly on that side of the finance side of it. So for me, my mortgage broker realized that my first two loans were cross collateralized, which was why I was stopped. So I ended up having to uncross those loans and my broker then went out and uh, found uh, pretty much another bank for me to go to. I was all with one bank. So then I started learning that you had to uh, spread all your loans and, and your mortgages over different uh, lenders to be able to borrow more money and to be able to access you know, different banks at different times. So you can go back and refinance one house or another house with the different banks, get more money out and go again. So it was probably my mortgage broker mainly that where I started about six years with him. Six years ago, I started with him. He was probably the, the biggest influence on me and growing my portfolio. 
he had 19 properties at the time. So I knew that he was somebody that I wanted to work with. So I pretty much worked with him very closely and learnt off him exactly what he did to be able to uh, grow that portfolio even even larger. Yeah, it's uh, Mark Salmon. His, his name is uh, Performance Mortgages. He, he he runs, and I still work with him. He actually is a part of now my business, and uh, he does all of our finance for our clients. So he's he's extremely you know in touch with what's happening. He knows what's going on with the market, and he's really good at advising clients on where to go and what to do and how to build that larger portfolio. Walsh says it's vital to find a mortgage broker with investment experience, as they'll be more likely to think about the long-term goals. One of those things, like with a mortgage broker, I think to you know to contribute to success, they're like sixty to seventy percent to contribute to a successful portfolio because they're the ones that are going to allow you to go out and buy those properties. So if you have a mortgage broker that doesn't understand your goals, uh, they're not going to be able to uh, think forward five years ahead. So with uh, me and Mark, we're very good at strategizing what was going to happen in the next five years and being able to sort of work to a plan and being able to uh, establish where we have to go, what banks we have to go to, to be able to build that larger portfolio. Whereas a lot of uh, you know brokers that don't have investment background, they, they, they're just thinking about the next deal. They're not thinking about three or four deals ahead. As you mentioned earlier, Walsh thinks back to the time where everything fell into place for him when he bought his first property. Pretty much that time where I you know, bought that first one, and it was making me money, and I thought to myself, at that time, okay, if I've done this once, why can't I can, you know, replicate this ten times over? So, at the start of it, was pretty much was my theory behind everything was, and I still use this today, is if I had bought one property and paid it off over thirty years, well, then after that thirty years, I'll own the property, but. I, I can't retire or anything like that. But then if I had bought the property next door, which is pretty much what I did, uh, and those properties doubled in value, I could eventually sell one to own the other one. And I'd be able to do that in probably a, a, you know, a seven to 10 year period. So I figured, well, if I can do, if I can own one house in a seven to 10 year period, why not replicate that by 10 houses and then eventually sell down five and own five? If I could do that, I could do you know much more. So it was sort of that theory behind, uh, sort of a different way of thinking from what my mum and dad and you know everyone else's mum and dads you know tell their kids of go in get a mortgage, pay that over thirty years. My way of thinking was go get as much debt as possible, wait for that to double, sell down half of it, and you'll own half of it. You'll be able to do that in half the time. So, inspired by this story and what our guest is excited about today, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory Podcast. We'll talk about how to apply the strategy. So, for me, I do the same thing every time. I research an area and I go through the same steps every single time to identify what that next you know, up-and-coming hotspot is going to be before people even start talking about it, before people even see it happen. I want to be able to figure out why it's going to happen. To success habits for property investing. So for me, just staying laser focused and writing those goals down were probably one of my biggest habits to be able to create the success that I have. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, 
Learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.